Welcome to This Week in Surgery Centers. If you're in the ASC industry, then you're in the right place. Every week, we'll start the episode off by sharing an interesting conversation we had with our featured guest, and then we'll close the episode by recapping the latest news impacting surgery centers. We're excited to share with you what we have, so let's get started and see what the industry's been up to. Hi, everyone. Here's what you can expect on today's episode. Jeff Lawrence from Envy is here this week to talk all about data. Clean, robust, and actionable data should be at the core of your surgery center strategy if you want to continue to thrive. He'll dive into the tools and systems you can use to pull the data and most importantly, chat through how you can use it um, for savings opportunities. And in our news recap, we'll cover a few nursing schools that are offering free tuition in exchange for a pledge to work post-graduation, exciting news from SCA Health, how providers are attempting to tackle healthcare for the homeless, and of course, end the new segment with a positive story about AI software that has been successfully trained to detect breast cancer. Hope everyone enjoys the episode, and here's what's going on this week in surgery centers. Jeff, welcome to the show. Ah, pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be here, Nick. Appreciate it. Jeff, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your current role um, and you know some of your overall experience in the SC industry? Yeah, so um, I'm currently a vice president of business development with Envy, and so I'm responsible for business partnerships and the uh, the sales team. Um, I've been in healthcare software for 22 years now, with uh, kind of a small stint in between for. Uh, data cleansing delivery. So uh, very, very focused in this uh, small little area. Um, I've been with Envy for about 14 years now. And as part of Envy and kind of in that in that same role And with Envy, we're basically a, a materials management system, cloud based materials management system for uh, the healthcare space and specifically um, kind of a focus in that ASC space. So the past 14 years with Envy has been very focused on ASCs and clinics uh, supply chain optimization. Fantastic! Twenty years in healthcare technology is enough to uh, to know what you're talking about. So that's I've, good. I've seen a lot of a lot of interesting things. There's no doubt. <laughs> yeah, and, and and Jeff wanted to drill in with you today and talk a little bit about the operational data categories and data elements specific to. ASC operations and, and running facilities more efficiently and, and, and reducing costs. And so as we think about those kind of overarching data categories that ASC should be thinking about, how do you think about that at kind of the highest level? Yeah. And so I, I always kind of start with, you know, understanding the importance of, you know, data. And I, I really kind of the picture I have in my mind is kind of data is the DNA of the supply chain. So it's absolutely foundational and core to kind of everything that you do from there. Um, and, and actually, maybe a quick disclaimer as well, because like when yeah. I when I look at a commitment to data, that's also like a commitment to technology and automation. So they're really kind of all tied together, because when I look at data, it is the foundation of your software. So in order to maximize the value of your software, you have to optimize you know, your data within those software systems in order to get the most from your software, but then that will be driven by kind of the data that you're managing within those systems. 
think in practice management, you know, think purchasing systems, like those are the ones, the data that I'm referring to. Right. I, I think that's a good disclaimer, you know, especially <laughs> on, hey, we can't talk about data unless we talk about systems yeah. and software systems and tools. We can't really talk about software systems and tools unless we talk about business processes that those yeah. tools support. And so I think those all three are definitely interlinked. Okay, so we've, we've got the disclaimer. And then going back to the data and kind of the categories of data, what do you think are the foundational categories? Yeah, so when, when in, in kind of like when, when I'm looking when, when I'm looking at data too, there's there's kind of multiple different systems that are kind of in play in an ASC, right? Um, and kind of like the outcomes that we want to drive are going to be, hey, we want to make sure that we are driving accurate case costing. So the data related to driving that accurate case costing is kind of specifically what I'm looking at. So you know, hey, you have patients, you have products, you have prices, you have you know, kind of charge masters, you have, you know, kind of the related preference cards that are related to that. So all of that data related, you know, to those practice management systems. Um, and then kind of that other major component is going to be kind of supply chain spend management. So kind of having that system or that database, which is that complete repository of all of the products and services that you're buying. And so then it's the related data to support that purchasing. So think of like the different products and the reorder numbers, the units of measure, the pricing, all of that information that is, you know, kind of at the lowest level that will feed up to the software and the processes that need to be in place to kind of run accurately. Great. So, so let's, let's take that outcome of, of case costing, which really kind of informs, you know, the huge piece of the, the, the P and L of an ASC, right? You've got yeah. your revenue, which is driven by cases. Then you've got the, the cost side of it. Um, and so let's talk about that case costing and see if we can break it down a little bit. Uh, so we have preference cards, right, which align at the facility uh, in terms of the cases being performed and the inventory and the, and, and, and the pieces and the products that go into delivering that case, right? Yep. How, how well do you think that the industry is doing preference cards today and what's been your experience does everybody have those nailed or do you see no. some centers some centers that do it great and some centers that have opportunity yeah well said some that have opportunity um it is it is not a universal uh accurate uh you know kind of database which drives you know accurate case costing i've seen way too many times when people will you know calculate their case cost every other year it's like once every two years of determining what their case cost is just because it's too much work um and that's where i think we really kind of need to change kind of the philosophy that this really needs to be a key strategy because you have to have accurate data which is informing your cases which is informing kind of what your case cost is and i, and I would probably say we kind of have to take one step back from there to start because when I, I look at some of those different systems that are in place in, in an ASE, one is, hey, you need to be purchasing. So if you initially focus on, hey, I want to make sure that all of my purchasing data, so I have like a single repository, right, for all of my purchases. So I have a yeah. single repository. So they're, they're my, pro my products are accurate. My descriptions are accurate. My reorder numbers, my costing. So the products that I'm buying is accurate. Now let's make sure that that information is also feeding kind of that, that, that clinical or practice management system. So if I'm buying the right products at the right prices and I'm focused on that data, and then I use integrations, you know, and or, you know, kind of just like, you know, 
elbow grease and making sure that you're kind of doing it, you know, properly the first time, it's going to feed the products and the prices that are in the uh, uh, clinical system, the practice management system, which will then inform the cases and the products that are tied to those preference cards. So, I mean, it's not just like, oh, hey, let's keep accurate preference cards. We have to take that step back, right? Let's make sure that we're, we know all the products we're buying. We know the information. We know the price associated with those. That then needs to inform my clinical system, which feeds up into my case costing through my preference cards. Does that make sense the way I said that? It does. So the inventory has to be accurate to be accurately reflected on the preference cards. And and where, where do you see, because uh, that makes a lot of sense, where do you see the breakdowns when, when there's inefficiency in an ASC setting? Where do you see the breakdowns? Is it on, hey, more often than not, the preference cards aren't accurate with the right uh, inventory components and supplies? It's a bit of a snowball because as soon as the information associated with those products starts to become inaccurate, then all of a sudden it becomes less relevant for people to feel that they need to maintain the proper products on those preference cards. So it's kind of like, hey, make sure you have the right data in the system and all the relevant products that you're purchasing is available. And so then when you know, like folks are building those preference cards, the data is available and relevant and accurate and complete. It makes it a lot easier for them to feel that it's relevant for maintaining the preference cards. Yeah. Great. And, and how do you kind of advise customers to, to think about this? Or maybe if they're setting it up for the first time, you know, maybe in a de novo setting is an example. How should they think about the products um, that they're going to have and the data, the cost data, the other data that they want to be capturing around those products? Yeah. So, I mean, in, in th this is where you really need to start leveraging some of your partners as well. Like, you know, every AC is going to have a primary distributor. They're going to have a good relation. They're going to have direct suppliers. They're going to have reps associated with that. They're going to have GPO partners, you know, that can kind of help. So it's understanding the importance of the data and working with those suppliers in order to make sure that the products that you're going to be buying, that they're ready to supply you with, but that is also going to be informing, like in that de novo setting, that's also going to be informing the data that's get, that's get loaded into the system to start because data is always accurate at one point. <laughs> it's what happens yeah. after that, right? So at the beginning, it feels a little bit easier. Hey, here's all the products I'm buying and I can get a file from my suppliers of, hey, here's the products that I'm buying and or I need to buy. And that can inform what it is that I'm going to load into my system. Got it. So you start with the, start with the products and the suppliers of the products, feed that into your inventory system. That feeds into your preference cards, which feeds back into your practice management system as the overall kind of system of record of your yeah. revenue and expenses. Is that kind of the? It's the just that portal? simple. Yeah, exactly. It's that simple. I don't know it's why we simple. think this is hard. Yeah. Um, do, do do customers ever get hung up in terms of that data flow across the different systems? Because oftentimes, as you mentioned, sometimes the inventory management system is different than the practice management system yeah. right yeah. and so are there any best practices to getting that that flow and that data flow to, to work well yeah and, and and i would say you know it's kind of the uh measure twice cut once kind of philosophy so as yeah. you go in and you're thinking about what is my strategy it's thinking about and evaluating those so like you know lots of people use a purchasing system that is different than their practice management system so when you do that there's a lot of efficiency that's driven 
with that for like that best of breed purchasing system? Well, you need to ask that question up front. Hey, do you integrate with my practice management system? And if the answer is no, you're going to you're not going to have an optimized supply chain and data strategy. When the answer is yes, then it's like, okay, let me look closer at this because I need to ensure at the front end that my partners, my different systems are going to be able to talk to each other. Yeah. Makes sense. Tell me a little bit, Jeff, about the contract utilization component of this. And when we're talking about inventory and inventory management and tying back to the contracts and the overall contract utilization optimization, how does that work? Yeah, th- th- this is a this is a really interesting one um, because we think about an inventory system. We need to make sure that we have all of the products that we're buying. Well, we need to optimize. Like one one of my goals, I kind of put out in the beginning with data is kind of spend management as well. Right. So when we kind of optimize and we know what products we're buying and we consolidate all that information into one system, we can then use that data to share with those partners that I was referring to, kind of like your distributor direct suppliers, yeah. you can share that information with those partners so that those partners can help you identify where there's contracting opportunities specifically for you. And the contracting opportunities is what's really going to enable you to kind of map, maximize your contract utilization. And that contract utilization should be able to drive your pricing down when you have data and you're able to share that with the partner so they know exactly what it is that you're buying. Great. Do, do you have an example of that you can you can share in, in yeah. practice of, of a time when a center kind of worked collaboratively with their partners? Yeah, it's probably good. Provided the information. Yeah, an example here, an image for people's uh, minds here. So yeah. they, they think about you have all of your purchase history information uh, within a system and you run a data extract. So it's like, hey, here, partners, let me share with you. And I was like starting like with uh, with the GPO partner, group purchasing organization, because uh, there's there, several large GPOs and they have contracts with pre-negotiated products on a lot of the products that are being purchased by ASCs. So I take my data and I send it over to my GPO partner rep and say, hey, can you analyze that for me? And so what they would do is they're going to take this purchase history file, which is all your line level purchases. They're going to take their GPO contract file and they're going to push those together. And they're going to identify for you, hey, here's products that you are buying today that our organization has pre-negotiated rates that are better than what you're paying. Would you like to activate some of these contracts, which will be able to drive your products product price down? And so by doing that analysis, they're able to compare exactly what you're buying to exactly where their savings opportunities. And some of them are easy, right? You know, it's a it's a contract that's the exact same product that you're buying, exact same unit of measure. It's easy. Yeah, if I can save money. Let's activate the contract. Others of those might be more, um, you know, you, you, you might have to um, convert. So you might have a product that's similar to something else that's on contract. Is it worth converting to save the doll, you know, the amount of money that they're able to identify? And the answer many times is no, but it's really mm-hmm. looking at all of that. And then there's going to be an output from that analysis, which is going to be, and here are the products that I can't help you with. And that's what you take and go to your you know, distributor or not your distributor, but your uh, direct supplier. And so you say, hey, my implant vendor, let me go talk to my synthes and say, hey, here are the products that if I negotiate directly with you, I'm going to be able to drive costs down. So when you look at those two buckets, like a GPO bucket and like that direct or local contract bucket, 
that direct local contract, you can save between five and 25% of the cost of those products. And on the GPO side, it's similar. It's about five to about 17% cost savings opportunities there. So it's well worth capturing the data, sharing it with the partners, working with them in order to see if there's savings opportunities. Because a lot of ASCs are not as proactive and they don't have access to as good data. And buyers don't really have to come to the table quite as easily. You know, you don't really even know what you're buying from them. Hmm. Those cost savings seem meaningful. Um, and are there certain product areas or product categories when you where you tend to find more savings opportunities, whether that be implants or some of the bigger ticket items? Implants are always way at the top, right? Because you, and especially depending upon the size of an organization and what their leverage is going to be, how much a given product are they, you know, what that volume is going directly to those suppliers. They're very willing to have uh, those conversations. And if you consolidate your spend in that given category with that implant vendor, they'll give you much better pricing. Um, and then kind of flipping over to the GPO side, one of the areas that I've seen a lot of savings recently, because this is obviously on a lot of people's minds right now. I'm having a lot of conversations with people yeah. that are saying, hey, I want to use the data from my purchasing system, Envy, and share that with partners in order to drive savings. Um, but it's like a category called purchase services. So think like HVAC and IT and elevator maintenance and, you know, waste management and all these areas that, you know, are a little bit of an afterthought. There's a lot of savings opportunities in that area as well, where a lot of people aren't digging for savings. Um, so love the implants, love like purchase services where people have not been focused uh, traditionally. And then a lot of the standard med surge products, you're going to be able to get, you know, uh, contract savings through your GPO for sure there. Fantastic. Um, Jeff, super helpful. One, one more question for you. And we do this with all of our guests every week. Um, what's one thing um, our ASCs can do this week to improve their surgery centers? One thing, so it all, it, it all comes down to this. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay on topic. And what I'll say is pick up the phone and call two of your partners and supply partners, right? So make that your GPO rep and make that your highest spend a direct supplier rep and just know that relationships matter and you know having those relationships having those contacts uh, these organizations are there for the ASCs to help them and when shown the right data they can help you save money as well so just pick up the phone or go sit down for a cup of coffee excellent Jeff thanks so much for joining us today hey, thanks appreciate it Nick As always, it has been a busy week in healthcare, so let's jump right in. Nursing schools are offering loan forgiveness programs in an attempt to offset the increased demands on healthcare, rising turnover, and nursing shortages. So I have three examples to share. The first is the University of Rochester Nursing Scholars Program. So starting in the fall of 2023, they will cover the tuition for students pursuing a year-long accelerated bachelor's degree in nursing and sweeten the deal with a guaranteed job at one of two hospitals in the area upon graduation. 
A second example is the Pennsylvania-based UPMC School of Nursing, who began offering tuition loan forgiveness for its its 16th month diploma program just this past January. Um, And students are eligible to receive up to $7,000 a semester once they complete their first semester in exchange for a three-year commitment to work at a UPMC facility after graduation. And then the third example is Chamberlain University in New Orleans. They teamed up they teamed up with LCMC Health through the Call to Care Scholars program to offer 3 years of tuition in exchange for a pledge to work 3 years at LCMC Health. Um so you'll kind of see that theme throughout, right? Like we will pay for you to get your degree uh if you commit to working for us upon graduation, which is so crazy to think how things have just changed so much. Like never in a million years did I think we would be at the place where we would be asking, telling people we're going to pay for your degree and then we're going to give you a job. You just have to commit to working. Um, It's really fascinating and interesting how the industry has evolved. However, um, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics projects projects that more than 203,000 yearly job openings for registered nurses will be available by 2031. So it makes complete sense why, why we're going down this route and doing anything that we can to get more nurses and get more healthcare staff. Um, again, just, just kind of wild. Um, so anything that these universities and institutions are able to offer, even if it is just a drop in the bucket, um, will certainly make an impact on their local communities. Um, and I commend them for thinking outside the box and at least putting the wheels in motion. And I'm sure there are a lot of other programs as well. Those are, those are just three. In our second story today, exciting news from SCA Health. Caitlin Zula has been named CEO of the East Region for Optum Health, and they have named Jason Strauss as their next CEO. Uh, So Caitlin joined SCA in 2015 and has successfully served as CEO since December of 2019. And in the company's press release, they shared all of her many successes, which is definitely worth a read, um, including her exceptional leadership and role in evolving the organization from an ambulatory surgical care business into a leading national specialty care provider. Um, And Jason Strauss has been with SCA for 15 years, so he is no stranger. um, And having served in several different roles, most notably chief operating officer and most recently president. Uh, So congratulations to both Caitlin and Jason on their new positions and can't wait to see what the future holds. Our third story is an inspiring one. Uh, More than 580,000 individuals are experiencing homelessness in the U.S. right now, and providers in three major cities, L.A., Boston, and Chicago, are actively rolling out street medicine programs to help. Um, So again, three examples here. The first is the UCLA Health Homeless Healthcare Collaborative. They started uh, with just two vans that would travel to different homeless encampments and shelters uh, to provide people with free healthcare services, such as preventative care, primary care, medical screenings, um, and referrals to social services. And last year, uh, UCLA's vans recorded 6,000 encounters with homeless patients and delivered medications more than 1,500 times, which is amazing. 
Um, the second example is the Boston Healthcare for the Homeless program. Um, they operate a little differently and actually have 600 employees, and they are considered a federally qualified health center, so an FQHC. Um, they see roughly 11,000 patients each year using a primary care model um, that prioritizes addiction care and mental health services. Um, and by being proactive in their community, they've seen really um, great success and they've been recognized by the state and the city for the work that they're doing. Um, they were able to get ahead of very treatable issues, most notably um, a, a and they were seeing a trend of a meningitis outbreak and they were able to um, get ahead of it um, and stop the outbreak from spreading. So by being proactive, they're able to um, not only help their homeless community, but, but help um, other people in the city as well. And lastly, over in Chicago, UI Health has the Better Health Through Housing program, which helps patients who frequently visit the emergency department and suffer from chronic conditions like heart failure, kidney disease, mental illness, and addiction. Um, and through grants, they were actually able to house more than 100 patients um, who they would frequently see um, that they knew um, did not have a place to live. So all three of these program leaders urge the government on, on every level and also payers to increase their involvement in healthcare for the homeless and really start to consider it a public health issue and not a social issue. And even um, kind of reframing it like that makes you understand why obviously healthcare leaders on all levels need to be involved in helping to, to care for the homeless as much as possible. And to end our new segment on a positive note, AI software shows promising results in detecting breast cancer missed by doctors. Um, in Hungary, Chiron Medical Technologies has been feeding its AI systems millions of mammograms from patients um, whose diagnoses are known, as well as images labeled by radiologists to teach the AI tool to detect cancerous growth by their shapes, locations, and density. And in 2022, after testing more than 275,000 breast cancer cases, Chiron said its AI tech can spot cancer at least as well as the doctors can. Um, and additional testing found that the AI software was able to identify um, more issues, increasing the cancer detection rate by 15%. Um, it's super important to note, though, that this technology is meant to be used alongside doctors, not in lieu of. Um, but just more exciting news about the future of AI and helping keep patients safe and healthy. And that news story officially wraps up this week's podcast. Thank you, as always, for spending a few minutes of your week with us. Make sure to subscribe or leave a review on whichever platform you're listening from. I hope you have a great day and we'll see you again next week.